Hello. Welcome to the myths and history of Greece and Rome. Well, I'm delighted to report that I'm almost fully recovered and the podcast is back. I've also updated the website, so please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and you'll see a Greek of the Week up there. I am getting quite low on funding for the hosting costs for my podcast, so I really would be incredibly grateful if you could go there and push the donations button and donate as much as you like. If you donate $10 or more, or the equivalent in any other currency, you can donate in pounds or euros, then I will send you a copy of my two e-books for this podcast, The Myths of Ancient Greece and The History of Ancient Greece, and also the e-book I have for my other podcast, The Legends of King Arthur and His Knights. So please go to www.mythandhistory.co.uk and hit the donation button. It really would be much appreciated. Okay, on we go. The Myths and History of Greece and Rome, Chapter 142, A Family at War, Part 2. In the last chapter, we saw the Paleologi at war with each other while trying to battle the enemies of the Empire. In this chapter, they will step up the wars with each other to such a level that they begin to ignore what is happening to their lands. In our long story, we have seen just two emperors who have been deposed more than once. Both Justinian II and Isaac Angelus managed to get themselves overthrown twice by their enemies within the empire. In this chapter, we will meet an emperor who manages not to just have two reigns, not even three reigns, but quite remarkably, four separate reigns. During this time, he will be overthrown three times, including twice by his own descendants. Andronicus III had done a pretty good job at stabilising what was left of the empire. The Asian part was gone, but the European part was doing okay. Like so many of the later emperors, though, he came to the throne when it was too late to save the empire and turn it round, and he died before he had the chance to finish the job. In June 1341, he caught a fever, and four days later he was dead. He'd ruled wisely and well for 13 years, and was still just 43 years old. And he was succeeded by a small boy, who was crowned John V Paleologus. Poor old John V was not fit to rule the empire as a small boy, and didn't get much better at it when he was older. He was overthrown more than once. First he was in, then he was out, then in, out, in, out, shake it all about. He was the hokey-cokey emperor. Well, we all know what's going to happen now, don't we? Emperor dies, small boy inherits the throne, everyone fights over who's going to be regent. To John Cantacuzinus it was obvious. He was the dead emperor's right-hand man, he was the best man to do the job, and Andronicus had asked him to be regent. He moved into the imperial palace and set to work. To Andronicus's wife, Anne, though, it was not obvious at all, and she decided that she should be regent. She was supported by the patriarch. But for now, the hokey-cokey emperor is in. John Cantacuzinus was called away to deal with some troublesome enemies. The Serbs, Bulgarians and Turks had all decided to take advantage of the death of the emperor and the chaos that was bound to follow. John, though, recruited an army and went fighting with some remarkable success. By 1341, he had concluded sensible truces with Stephen Dushan of Serbia, John Alexander of Bulgaria and Emir Orhan of the Ottoman Turks. Not long after this, the Principality of Akia in the Morea also offered to return to imperial control. While John was away negotiating, his enemies in Constantinople struck. Anne, supported by the Grand Domestics, Alexis Apokaukas, declared John an enemy of the state. A mob was gathered which burned his palace to the ground and all of his country properties were seized. John Cantacuzinus had many supporters in the provinces and they declared him to be emperor. 
another civil war was bound to happen. And happen it did. For six years, the civil war raged in the empire. In 1343, the Empress Anne was running out of cash to support her war effort, and so she did the unthinkable. She pawned the crown jewels of the empire to the Venetians. This means she borrowed 30,000 ducats from the Republic and gave the crown jewels to them to ensure she paid it back. The money was never paid back, and the crown jewels were never returned to Constantinople. As the war went on, it became clear that John Cantacuzenus was slowly gaining the upper hand. However, he was never quite strong enough to win it. He had help from the Serbs and his old friend Emir Umur Pasha, but both had their own troubles and the final victory was always just out of reach. So, John Cantacuzenus then also did the unthinkable. He reached out for new allies and found the Ottomans. John made contact with Orhan, and pretty soon he had stuck up another friendship. Orhan married one of John's daughters, and John, who was fluent in Turkish, impressed the emir enough for him to agree to help. In 1346, back in Constantinople, the east end of the Hagia Sophia collapsed. The people of Constantinople were very superstitious, and they saw this as a terrible omen. Surely something big was going to happen. Early in the following year, it happened. John Cantacuzenus and his men, along with a lot of Turks, arrived at the city walls. On the 2nd of February 1347, John slipped through a small gap in the Golden Gate and entered Constantinople. Even now, though, John was loyal to the Paleologi. He agreed that he and John V would rule together as equals, and so John Cantacuzenus became John VI. One of his daughters was married to John V, and they all settled down to play Happy Families. Unfortunately, Happy Families was soon replaced by the Hokey Cokey. John Cantacuzenus was an able and intelligent man, and really should have taken control of the empire as soon as Andronicus had died. His loyalty to the old emperor and his son were too strong, and so he missed his chance. By the time he became emperor, there was even more to do than there had been in 1341. The Serbs had used the civil war to their advantage and taken nearly all of Macedonia and Thessaly. Now just Constantinople, Thessalonica, Thrace, the Morea and a few islands were left. Not only that, but virtually as soon as John Cantacuzenus became emperor, a terrible plague called the Black Death spread throughout the empire. Over half the population of the capital died. John realised he needed a fleet, so he set about building one. This annoyed the Genoese in Galata. John changed the way business was done in the city so that it was fairer and more money would go to the empire than the Genoese. This annoyed the Genoese. They protested, but John was not interested. This also annoyed the Genoese. In fact, by now they were so annoyed they burned the new ships that John was building. In response, a number of Genoese warehouses were torched, and soon a full-scale war was in progress. The Empire built ships, and the Genoese built fortifications. They built a huge tower called the Tower of Christ, which still stands in Istanbul today. It is now called the Galata Tower. The ships sailed against the Genoese, but the sailors were not experienced, and it seems they were panicked by something. What is known is that every soldier and sailor on the Imperial ships threw themselves into the sea near the Golden Horn and swam to safety. The Genoese thought this was hilarious and captured all the ships and towed them back to Galata. Fortunately, it appears that they thought the whole thing was so funny they made a generous peace offer which John Cantacuzenus accepted. Pretty soon the Venetians and Genoese were at war with each other again and poor John Cantacuzenus supported the wrong side. He supported the Venetians and sent 12 ships to fight with them, but the Genoese won. By now, the co-emperor John V was 20 years old and wanted more 
power for himself. He demanded that John VI give him most of Thrace to govern, and John VI agreed. Soon, though, John V decided he hadn't been given enough, and he attacked John VI's son Matthew, who was looking after Adrianople. John VI was determined to help his son, so he sent an army which included an awful lot of Turks. John V sent an army, mainly made up of Serbs and Bulgarians. John VI came out on top, but he had used Muslim Turks against his own people, and his popularity never recovered. He declared that John V was deposed and he was now sole emperor. John V was exiled to the island of Tenedos. The Hokikoki Emperor was out. Just two years later, an earthquake hit Thrace, destroying the city of Gallipoli. Thrace was still full of Turks, and they took the opportunity to occupy the ruined city and rebuild its walls. The Ottoman Turks, invited into the empire to help John Cantacuzenus, now had their first city in Europe. It was the start of their long rise to power in the Balkans. John appealed to the emir's son to return the city. Suleiman replied the city had fallen to him by the will of God, and returning it would be very ungrateful. John V saw his chance and escaped from Tenedos. He returned to Constantinople and was cheered by the crowds. Before long, the palace of John Cantacuzenus was torched again, and the two men agreed to meet. It was decided they would rule together, again with John VI as senior empire. John V was back. The Hokikoki Emperor was in. John Cantacuzenus, though, had lost the will to rule. After just six months, he abdicated. He retired to a monastery and became Brother Joseph. He had been emperor for just under eight years. John had ruled as well as he could and served the empire for a long time. In better times, he probably would have been a great emperor, but he arrived just a little bit too late. He lived a long time as a monk, and we'll meet him again soon. John V Paleologus soon found out what a difficult job it was to be emperor. John was right about one thing, though. He knew there was no way that the Ottoman Turks and the empire could both exist and be peaceful. He decided, therefore, that the Turks had to go. He sent a note to Pope Innocent VI with the usual message. If the Pope sent loads of troops to help him smash the Turks, he would unite the two churches and the Church of Rome would be in charge. The Pope really didn't take the whole thing seriously and no soldiers were sent. The Turks spread slowly and menacingly across Thrace. The two major cities in the province fell to the Ottoman forces, Didymoctium in 1361 and Adrianople in 1362. In 1363, the new emir Murad took Philippopolis from the Bulgarians. Envoys were sent to Europe to beg for help, but no help came. John V then did something that no other emperor had ever done. He went to a foreign court in person to ask for help. He chose to visit the King of Hungary, Louis the Great. Louis said that he'd help, but only if John converted to Catholicism. The discussion got nowhere, and John trudged home, only to be captured by the Bulgarians. Before John V, only Valerian and Romanus Diogenes had ever been captured by an enemy. Romanus had been treated very well by his captors, but John was considered not to be too important, and he wasn't treated well at all. He was held in captive in a small town for six months. John V Paleologus may have rotted in a Bulgarian jail forever if it hadn't been for his cousin, Amadeus of Savoy. Amadeus was a crusader and an adventurer, and he arrived in Constantinople with some Genoese supporters, determined to help John deal with the Turks. They sailed up to Gallipoli, and after two days of furious fighting, recaptured it. Amadeus was then told that John wouldn't be able to help him celebrate, because he was in prison in Bulgaria. After a month of preparation, he sailed up the coast and laid siege to the city of Varna. 
He sent a message to the Tsar demanding John's release or else bad things would happen. The Tsar gave in and John was released. A very big party was had to celebrate John's freedom and the recapture of Gallipoli. John V knew his position was weak. When he returned to Constantinople in 1367, he decided he would convert to Catholicism in order to persuade the West to send help. He sent Brother Joseph to negotiate. It seems that the former emperor still held some power, even though he was now a monk. In the end, it was agreed that John would travel to Rome for the ceremony. This he did in 1269, leaving his son Andronicus in charge in Constantinople. The deed was done, and John V became the first Catholic emperor to reign since the two churches split. It didn't do him any good. There was no help from the West, and poor old John was again held captive when he tried to return home. In 1270, he arrived in Venice, and they refused to let him travel further until he repaid all of his debts to the Serene Republic. John couldn't pay, but he agreed to give the Venetians the island of Tenedos in the Hellespont if they let him off and gave him some cash. The deal was done, but the deal was soon undone. The Genoese were furious when they found out, and Andronicus, back in Constantinople, completely refused to give up the island. John was eventually rescued by his second son, Manuel, who travelled to Venice with a load of gold treasure. The Venetians took the gold and jewels, gave John and Manuel some cash and let them return to Constantinople. The journey took seven months. While he had been away, the Turks had stormed into into Imperial Macedonia, defeated the Serbs and taken a lot of territory from both. In 1373, yet another unthinkable thing happened. The Turks had become so powerful that John had to negotiate with them to keep hold of what was left of his empire. In the end, he agreed the Roman Empire, the 1,500-year-old Roman Empire, would become a vassal of the Ottomans. The humiliation was horrible. The humiliation only got worse when the Sultan, as the new Emir Murad was calling himself, forced John and Manuel to fight for him. Both the Bulgarians and the Serbs were also forced to be vassals of Murad. John's son Andronicus took this opportunity to restart the civil war. Amazingly, he allied with Saudi, son of Sultan Murad, and both sons attempted to overthrow their fathers. The Sultan was far too powerful, and both sons were quickly defeated. Murad had Saudi blinded, and demanded that John do the same to Andronicus, and Andronicus's young son, John. John V couldn't quite bring himself to do it. He had Andronicus blinded in one eye, and young John was just injured. Andronicus was imprisoned and stripped of his inheritance. Now Manuel was declared to be John's heir. In 1376, John V probably wished he'd gone through with the blindings. In March of that year, ten ships arrived from Venice. On the ships were ambassadors from the Doge, who quite reasonably declared that now Andronicus was out of the way, John was free to give him the island of Tenedos, as he'd promised. In return, they'd hand back the crown jewels and give John a big wad of cash. John quite sensibly agreed. The Genoese were, of course, furious again. Somehow, nobody knows how, they managed to free Andronicus from prison. Andronicus made contact with Murad, who must have thought that the civil wars of the Paleologi were hilarious. He agreed to help Andronicus against his father. Andronicus, with a load of Murad's Turkish troops, laid siege to Constantinople for a month and then barged his way in. He imprisoned John V and Manuel in the Tower of Animas, the very same prison that he'd been rescued from a few months before. In October 1377, he was crowned Andronicus IV. Sultan Murad demanded the return of Gallipoli as a payment for his help. Andronicus returned Gallipoli. The Hokey Emperor was out.
1379, somehow, and again nobody knows how, John V and Manuel managed to escape from prison. It seems that the Tower of Animas wasn't the most secure prison in the Empire. For the next year there was civil war again. John and Manuel supported by the Venetians, and Andronicus IV supported by the Genoese. Eventually they came to an agreement. The civil war would end if Andronicus became John's heir again. Poor old Manuel must have been pretty annoyed by this. He had been loyal to his father, and Andronicus had rebelled twice. But it was Andronicus who would be the next emperor. Andronicus IV had been emperor for about three years. The Hokey Emperor was in. In 1383, Brother Joseph, the former emperor John Cantacuzenus, died. He'd seen the empire go through more civil wars since he'd abdicated. It must have saddened him greatly that he'd tried so hard to stop the empire falling apart, but, like those who followed him, he'd failed. At the end of his long life, for he was 91 years old when he died, the empire was worse off than it had ever been. Now the once mighty Roman Empire consisted of just four pieces of territory. John V reigned in Constantinople, and his son and grandson John looked after a strip of land on the coast of the Sea of Marmara, although Andronicus died in 1385, aged 37. John V's second son, Manuel, ruled in Thessalonica, and his third son, Theodore, ruled the despotate of the Morea. The whole empire was a vassal of the Turks. Thessalonica was constantly under attack, and, it was re- and it's remarkable that it held out for so long. It was only due to the great efforts and skills of Manuel Paleologus that it didn't fall until 1387. But fall it did, and the empire lost its second city. Manuel very sadly made his way back to Constantinople, but he didn't receive a very warm welcome. John V was terrified of the Turks, and was furious with Manuel for fighting with them over Thessalonica. Poor Manuel was exiled to the island of Lemnos. The empire, under the very weak leadership of John V, was beaten. It was left to the brave Serbs to put up a fight. In 1386, the resistance to the Turks began, and for two years the Serbs were very successful. But in 1389, Murad arrived in the Balkans with a very large army. The Serbs, led by the folk hero Tsar Lazar, lined up to face them at a place called the Field of Blackbirds, or Kosovo Polje. The Serbs fought fiercely and bravely, but the might of the Turks was too much for them, and eventually they turned and fled. The Battle of Kosovo was a great victory for the Turks, except for one thing. One of the Serb leaders pretended to desert the Serb army and was brought before Sultan Murad. He plunged a knife into the great Sultan, who died soon after. Murad's son, Bayezid, was even more aggressive than his father. He boasted that he would be the Muslim leader who took Constantinople. He demanded that John V sent his poor son Manuel to him as a hostage. John, of course, immediately agreed, and Manuel was a prisoner of the Turks again. John's grandson, John, the son of Andronicus, decided it was his turn to rebel. He, just like his father, obtained some help from the Turks and deposed John V in April 1390. He was crowned John VII Paleologus. John V barricaded himself into a tower. The Hokikoki Emperor was out. John VII, though, lasted five months on the throne before Manuel escaped from the Turks and made his way back to the capital. He persuaded the Knights of St John to lend him two galleys and sailed back to Constantinople. After three weeks of fighting, Manuel entered the city and released his father. John VII was banished and John V was back in charge. The Hokikoki Emperor was in. The fourth reign of John V Paleologus was the shortest. In the winter of 1390 he went to bed. It is said that he'd simply had enough. 
He'd tried to do what was needed to save the Empire, but it was far too big a job for him. It was probably too late anyway. Not even a truly great Emperor would have had much chance, and he was not a great Emperor. John V turned to face the wall, and on February 16th, 1391, he died. He had reigned in four separate stints for a total of 45 years, but was still only 58 years old when he died. The Empire was doomed. The Turks had overrun the Balkans, destroying not only the Empire, but Serbia and Bulgaria as well. There was really no chance of saving it, and, it's li- and it was likely it would fall within months. It is remarkable that 62 more years and three more emperors would come and go before it did fall. The empire only lasted 62 more years because all three of the last emperors of Rome were brave, energetic and determined men. Next week, we will meet the first of them. Actually, we've already met him, but he'll have a bigger part to play in our story. If you'd like to ask any questions about the myths and history of Greece and Rome, or would just like to contact me to give me some feedback, then you can do so by email, mythandhistory at gmail.com, or you can friend me on Facebook, Paul Vincent Myth and History. So, have a great couple of weeks, and I'll speak to you next time.